even though we went over uh, Mark 16, 1 through 8 last week, there's still a few more riches for us to mine out of this text. And so verses 6 through 8 is where we're going to be this morning on a little bit of a different topic, but not much, as you'll see in just a moment. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. It says this. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you very much for coming. Let me also welcome you to worship with us this morning at Christ Fellowship. And will you bow with me as we pray and ask God for his help this morning. Father, thank you very much for your word and thank you that it is so rich and so full and so living that we can continually mine more riches from it, even from the same passage week after week. Father, I pray that you would please Help us to hear you and hear your word rightly this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his job by applying these eternal truths to our hearts as only he can do. Father, I pray that he would do that work this morning in all of us. I know that each one of us come into this room this morning with different things on our minds. Some of us might be hurting. Some of us might be in a bad mood. Some of us might be depressed, and some of us might be extremely joyful. Lord, we're all in different places, even in different places spiritually. Some might not even know you yet. Some may have been in the faith for decades. So, Father, I pray, please, do your work individually in each one of us this morning. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I went to Bible college, I got an associate's degree in computer-aided drafting. I learned how to draw schematics and things like that in all different types of areas, but I ended up getting a job in uh, electrical drafting, and I was responsible for drawing the schematics that showed the men in our warehouse how to wire up um, control panels for electrical substations. I, I drew those drawings that showed them how to wire those up, and that's what I did for a little while, and I was just a draftsman. And so, of course, my work didn't go right up to the men. It had to be approved before it was sent out for final production. And the gentleman over me was an electrical engineer, and he was my boss, and he checked my work. And he was, <clears throat> this, was back in the, this was back in the year 2000, so quite a long time ago. At that time, I just remember him a little bit. I, I remember him, he was... Uh, he was, he was well-built, and he, and he was handsome, and I wasn't checking him out. I'm just making observations here. He's well-built, and he was handsome, and, and he was about 30-ish. He was also very worldly, and I was an outspoken Christian, and he would get very angry about the things of God, and we would have discussions where he was heated what I've learned since then is that the people that get the angriest, usually, about things of God, about things of Scripture, are the people that desperately need the Bible to be untrue in order for them to feel comfortable. 
in order for them to keep on living the life that they want to live, which is a sinful life. Because if the Bible is true, then they'll be very uncomfortable and they have to face some things in their life that they actually really like. And so what I found over the years is the people that have given me the most hostility against the things of God, even though they say they don't believe them, I think, then why are you so angry? Like, for example, I don't believe aliens are real. And so when I watch a documentary and people say, oh, the aliens helped build the pyramids and things like that, guess what? I go to a different channel and I lose no sleep because I know aliens aren't real. And so I don't get in heated arguments with people that believe in aliens because I don't have to because it doesn't bother me. It bothered him, though, very much that I believe these things. And I remember him one day saying to me, if God wants everyone to believe in him so much, then why doesn't he just rip the sky open and stick his face down and say, hey, here I am? I remember him saying that. Now, there's two problems with that, at least. But the first one is this. God's not simply looking for people just to believe that he exists. Is he? If that's all he wanted and that's all that was necessary in order to be saved from your sins or just to be called Christian or something like that, well, then we'd have to then say the devil and all the demons are believers because they believe he exists and they actually do us one better. They've seen him. We haven't. At least not with our eyes. We see him in the scriptures very clearly. We know that that's the number one problem with what he said. First of all, is he's not just looking for people to believe in his existence. What is he looking for? He's looking for people to, number one, believe that they are estranged from him because of their sin. He's looking for people to believe and know that he sent his dear son, Jesus Christ, into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, who became a man like we are, yet retaining his deity the entire time, perfectly kept the law that we can't keep, and also bore upon himself the wrath of God on purpose, chose it, took the wrath of God that should be ours on our behalf, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again from the dead, and ever lives to make intercessions for the saints. For the saints, this God-man always is our go-between now, our mediator between God and man. That's what God's looking for people to believe in so that they can be saved, so they can be reconciled to God. Not just for them to believe that he exists. The number two thing that's wrong with that picture is God never made it his job to do the spreading of that message. Though it would be extremely efficient, wouldn't it? But what I've learned is God's not always concerned with efficiency, is he? He's not. He's not looking to always do something in the most efficient way. Because efficiency isn't always what produces godliness. Sometimes time and suffering and hard lessons learned and things like that. We need those over years and years and years to make us more godly. And so the Lord has never designed it 
for it to be his job to evangelize the globe all at once, he's actually given us that. He's given us that responsibility. That's the way he's planned it. That's why I've titled the message this morning, Go and Tell. Go and, and Tell, because that's what we've been given. We've been given that responsibility and that job and that privilege to go share the message. So look at verses 6 through 8. As you recall here at the end of Mark, the women have come to the tomb. Jesus has just been risen from the dead, and they find a man sitting there dressed in white, dazzling clothes. We're told in Matthew that his appearance was like lightning. If you were here last week, you heard that. And what's he say to the women in verse 6? Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. And it says that they left that place trembling and said nothing to anyone until they came to the apostles and told them. They're told to go and tell this news. They're told to go and tell the news. Why didn't the angel just appear with all the disciples? That would have been so much quicker. It's like, okay, so, so you want us to go tell the disciples. So, so you're an angel, right? Why don't you just scoot right over there and just, why don't you go tell them? I'm going to be like way quicker because we have legs and we have to walk and it takes a long time and I might get thirsty. And Why don't you just go tell them? Because that wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's plan. God's plan is for you and I to tell the message. Us. Even at the end of um, John's gospel, John 20, 16 through 18, we see this. Um, we get more of the story here. So Mary is at the tomb, and she thinks Jesus is the gardener. Maybe he had his back turned to her. We don't know. Lord, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've taken him, and I'll go get him. And then the gardener, who she assumes is the gardener, says something that made her say, I know that voice. I know that voice. John 20, 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Jesus appears to Mary and says, I want you to go and tell. Now, why? Why just appear to her and well, we know there were other women as well, but this is a, a bit more dialed in an encounter, more details. So why just appear to them? And then also, think about the culture at that time. A woman's account, if it was just women, it wasn't usually substantial. It wasn't usually substantial. And they, and they couldn't actually even... Uh, appear in court on their own without another man to say, yes, what she's saying is credible. Didn't Jesus know that? Why tell a woman? Why just tell a group of women? If they knew, no, usually the way we do it is, you know, a man's got to be there too. God is all wise. And he does things the way he wants. And what he wants is perfect. Perfect. 
And you know what he wants? He wanted them. He wanted these women to tell the disciples first. And we think, why? That doesn't, it kind of goes against the culture. You're just putting like an extra step in there. The men would have had to go see for themselves, which is what they did. Why'd you do it that way, God? I don't get it. And the Lord's not looking for us to get it. He's simply looking for us to obey. I tell the children sometimes, I said, oh, gosh, I wish I, I, wish I had it like you've got it. Because all you have to do is what you're told. It's just so much easier. It's just like, Daddy, Daddy and Mommy, we had to think through all the contingencies and all the plans, and you just get to do what you're told. It's so easy. I wish I could just go back to that. Yes, sir, I'll do it. Somebody else does all the thinking and all the responsibles, all the responsibilities. And that's how we are in the Christian faith. We just get to do what we're told. God's thought through everything. And we just obey. It's been this way too, even, so this is at the end of Jesus' ministry, even when Jesus' ministry was beginning, we get Philip doing something similar. Look at John 1, 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And what does Philip do? Philip cannot contain this wonderful truth that he's learned. We don't know all that happened with after Jesus said to him, follow me. But Philip is 100% convinced that this man, he's the one that the prophets wrote about and that Moses wrote about, and he has to go to a friend and tell him he has to. Now, Philip uh, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Philip had to tell someone, had to invite someone. He said, I've got to go and tell about this man and I've got to invite him. And guess what? Because Philip said to him, because Philip said to him, come and see, Nathanael came and saw and believed. Because Philip said to him, come and see. Now, of course, we don't know what would have happened if he didn't do that. Would, would Nathanael be one of the 12? Well, of course, because everything is as God wills it. And God's plans are always going to happen. So there is no, like, really, what ifs. It was going to happen anyway. But just as it's part of God's plan, who will be saved, it's also part of God's plan, how they get saved. And God's plan for how people get saved is his people share that news. So that was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. What about the beginning of Jesus' time here on earth? Do we have an account of other people going and telling about that? What about Jesus' birth? Look at this, Luke 2, 15 through 18. Luke 2, 15 through 18 says this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, this is the shepherds when they announced that good news to them. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they kept it to themselves and told no one else. The end. Nope, that's not what it says. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds said, let's go tell other people. 
Let's make this known. Let's not wait for angels to appear to them too. They didn't even think, maybe the angels, maybe only angels are supposed to give this news. No. They said, let's go tell everyone. Angels chose shepherds again. Unlikely people for that day and age. Well, I've told you this back at Christmas time. This was something akin to angels appearing to truck drivers at a Waffle House and telling them the greatest news. I mean, these were, these were people, of course, not slamming truck drivers. They're very important. We need them. But all of you know if there's a party and someone says, I'm an anesthesiologist, we're all like, wow. And someone else says, I drive a truck. No one's like, wow. What's it like? You, what? You're so in, what? I can't believe. Can you believe he's a truck driver? This is amazing. I can't believe I know him. No. It's not really a celebrated job, is it? And neither was being a shepherd. Again, he gave this news to very unlikely people. And they went and told. They shared it. They spread it. God did not command angels appear to everyone on planet earth and tell them the news. That would have been a lot quicker, right? And it would have been a lot more convincing, right? But how did God design it? God designed it for just a few unpopular people to know who were then moved upon out of their great joy to tell others. And that's how it is for you and I. It doesn't change. Go and tell. Church, go and tell. That's, that's our part. That's our part. We're not supposed to keep it in. Also, around the time of Jesus' birth, after he's presented at the temple at eight days old, as each male child born is dedicated at the temple, Eight days later, this woman doesn't get a lot of attention, but her name is Anna. She was a prophetess. She's only mentioned in Luke. Um, her part is pretty significant, though, because of what she did with the news that she got. Luke 2, 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess. Uh, children, a prophetess just means uh, a female prophet. Prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, coming up that very hour, Mary had brought Jesus, and there was a man named Simon there who the Holy Spirit said, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And he gets to see Jesus and he speaks words over Jesus and Mary. She, Anna, comes up at this time and sees all this happening as well. That's why it says coming up at that very hour. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She told about this news. She told about it. And God planned it that way. And I believe she probably did a magnificent job at doing it because of her position with God as being a prophetess. Again, though, 
a female. And you might think, Cohen, don't we pay you to do this? Like, aren't you the one who's supposed to go out and tell everybody? Don't we pay you to even, like, maybe come up with, like, evangelistic programs and, and, and push all, us all out to do it? This is for every believer on planet Earth, and you've been gifted with ways to do this in your own way. And this is what the church is. This is what the church does. We're saved so that we can go share this with others. How do I know that? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. This also has a bit in here about how to overcome your fear. I want to share about that. Because the first thing we think about when we, when we think about, well, I'm supposed to go tell, is we sort of think about the way that's kind of been shown to us over the years, like you need to go knock on doors and you need to go pass out tracks and, and like public places and, and parks and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I think you should do that. Um, but the truth is, you should do it how the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. That's really how you should tell people, how the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. So as far as telling this good news, which we've seen is our job, which we've seen the pattern of Scripture, that's, that's how it's been. For thousands of years, people get the news and they go and tell. And Jesus' last words, even to the apostles before ascending up to heaven, was telling them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations and baptize them. I want to help you with doing that. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now that should make every Christian in here Smile from ear to ear. That is such good news. You are not your old you. You're a new you in Christ. And if you think, well, you know, I'm just sort of a shy person. I'm just sort of a scared person. The old you, but you're a new creation. The new you is like Jesus. The new you is becoming more and more like Jesus. And Jesus was not afraid. Jesus was not afraid of man. He wasn't afraid of man's opinions. He actually told us to not even be afraid of what man can do to us. He said that. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and afterwards have nothing more they can do to you. Instead, fear him who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. The truth about you is the old you has passed away. The new has come, is what this verse says. The old's passed away. The new has come. Walk in the new you and overcome your fear. God will give you boldness from the Holy Spirit to help you walk in obedience and tell this good news. And you're going to see it's not as bad and as scary as you think when you do it in the power of the Lord and with his help. It's not as bad and as scary as you think. And it's complicated. We tend to make it very complicated. And the Lord just wants us to tell out of the joy of our hearts, what he's done for us in this good news. Look at verse 18. This is what Paul also wrote to the church of Corinth. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How did God reconcile us to himself? Through our dear Lord Jesus Christ, through dying in our place, through repentance and faith, we come to him and are saved through repentance of our sins and faith in what he did, not in any of our own works. 
That's how we're saved. All this is from God. That's why he says that. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. So my old boss, Steve, that's why God doesn't rip the sky open and stick his face down and say, here I am. Because he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's my job to say, here he is. Here he is in scripture. That's my job. I'm the one that's supposed to say, here he is. And here he is in my life and what he's done for me. Let me tell you about that. May I give you a Bible? I've been praying for you, by the way. Those things, those things. That's how we do it, little by little. He's given us the message of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them on the cross, their trespasses are not against us anymore. Our trespasses are not against us anymore. They were laid on Jesus Christ and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because this message is ours, he's saying, to give out to the world, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, not through his face in the sky, but through your face, through your voice, through your goods, through your time, through your love, through your care, through your compassion. God making his appeal through us. What's our message? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we're saying when we want people to come to know Jesus, is we're wanting them to be reconciled to God. The fact that we are saying to them, be reconciled to God, though you don't have to use that exact phrase, shows that there's disunity there, right? You don't, speak of being, you don't speak of people being reconciled unless there's a split. Like if I said to you, oh yeah, our friends, they're, they're having a hard time in their marriage and we're praying that they would be reconciled. Well, I don't have to tell you anymore. You know, uh-oh, there's trouble. They're they're. They're not jiving right now. They might even be separated for a time. I don't have to tell you anything else. You can know it. And so we're saying to people, be reconciled to God. Why? Because they are split from God. Why? Because of their sins. Verse 21, what's our message? For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Our sin was transferred onto his account so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness is put onto our account. So this wonderful transfer, wonderful transfer. Sins, our sins over to him, and he was crushed for them. His righteousness over to us by faith. And now when God looks at us, he, th- he sees us through Christ's righteous lenses. He looks upon you and sees the righteousness of his son. And that's such good news, which is why we wouldn't want to keep this to ourselves ever. It's good news that we would share with everyone. Well, as you all know, in the past, prior to ministry here, years prior to this, we were missionaries. And um, as missionaries, of course, here's a video that I, we, we made long ago that we used to share with people, but I just wanted to sh- show you some images because the truth is, you guys haven't actually seen a lot of images from our mission work. I just don't 
I don't know, I just don't talk about it a lot. I just, I don't know, I guess it sort of feels like tooting my own horn sometimes. But we were missionaries in Belize, Central America. And we went there to tell the truth of the Word of God. And it's because I had a friend who encouraged me to pray about being a missionary years before. But we went. And with God's help, told the truth. Even back in some villages that were eight miles in the jungle with no electricity, no running water. Actually, that church that you saw me sitting there in that picture, no electricity, no running water. And when it rained, it had a thatched roof hut. And you had, I mean, it was a thatched roof, rather, and you had to sometimes move your chairs based on where the rain was not dripping. And uh, we would share communion with the people. And not only was I there to evangelize people, tell them the truth, share with our neighbors, of course, pass out Bibles, of course, do uh, vacation Bible clubs and things like that, of course, but primarily there to share with the leaders of churches. I trained people in the Bible and in theology and equipped church leaders and pastors to be better leaders of their churches with God's help. And I'm thankful that we were able to be there for those four and a half years. God used us in some big ways. And we've got some memories that are so precious to us and made some really wonderful friendships. And God did it. God did it through us. God provided for us for all those years. It was a faith-based ministry, meaning we weren't paid. We were dependent on the giving of others. And God kept us there for all those years. We never missed a meal. God always made sure that we had what we needed. But I want to talk about why. I want to talk about why we were even there in the first place. Why was I even there to share with people like these guys that you see in this picture even now? Why was I even there? Why was I even doing that? Well, number one, because the love of God had compelled me to get his message out even to some of the harder places. The love of God has specifically even pointed us right to that place in Central America and made it very clear. But it goes back to this friend of mine named Jeff Shelnut. You guys might recall uh, Jeff. He, he's preached here before. Two, two different times, I believe, maybe three. But the first time you will probably never forget if you were here because he told about when he was a missionary in Africa and was kidnapped and held out in the bush for six days because they were trying to get ransom money. And uh, thank the Lord, through many miraculous things, God rescued him. And he got to live <laughs> and come back but it was Jeff Shellnut who was the one who encouraged me to pray about missions in the first place. Because Jeff Shellnut, a year before that, had said, hey, why don't you come to my house and we'll meet in my parents' basement, it's a furnace basement, and we can study the Bible together. And we did that for a whole year. And that happened because it was Jeff Shellnut who had invited me to church about a year before that that I actually attended and went to and got saved 
at that church. Because a man named Mike Garrigan was the pastor there and who was preaching the Bible faithfully. And I heard the gospel through which I got saved back in late 98, early 99. And I was even sort of inclined to receive Jeff's invitation because I had a mother who raised me up in the truth, taking us to church every Sunday, though when I turned 13, I rebelled hard and told her, don't want to go to church anymore, and stopped going to church from about the age 13 to age 18. But she raised me up to know the truth and to know what was right and brought me to church, which is why I was then inclined to receive Jeff Shonnett's invitation to come to church at the age of 18, to hear Mike Garrigan, who was walking faithfully to preach the gospel, which then I got saved by, which then meant I was willing to go to a Bible study for a year in Jeff Shelnut's basement, where he discipled me for a year, which is then why I was encouraged by him, why don't you pray about missions? Which is then why I went to Bible college, then seminary, and then in June of 2007, became missionaries and landed in Belize, I believe, in 2009 after language school. And no, it was 2007 I was ordained. We went to language school. Then in June 2009, landed in Belize as full-time missionaries where we shared the good news for four and a half years because all these people followed the leading of the Lord and shared truth which led to people in Belize knowing the truth, which then led me while I was in Belize to teach two different groups of pastors and church leaders in the Bible and theology and tell countless people about the Lord Jesus and pass out tons of Bibles and reading glasses and all these wonderful things and then encouraged local pastors from Birmingham, why don't you come help us to do a Bible conference once a year, which they started doing in 2004. 13, came back and did it in 2014, and have come back every year since then, and those same two pastors that I invited to come do that Bible conference even went in March and did it again in Belize years after I've left that place. They're still going, still doing Bible conferences, not to mention the, the students that I minister to who are still leading in their churches, all because of all these things. And you're here this morning probably because someone either raised you up in the truth or you heard a faithful minister preach the gospel or someone invited you and you heard a faithful minister preach the gospel or someone gave you a Bible at work or, or whatever. Or because someone came and visited you in the hospital when your child was sick and you said, I'm going to go to Christ Fellowship because that person's the real deal. Go and tell Church, that's our job, and that's the way God's designed it. And that's how the kingdom is going to come here on earth. So I want to encourage you. Go and tell. Invite someone to church. That person at work that you've been praying for, give them a Bible. Give her a Bible. Be bold. That person that God's been putting on your heart to share with, and you keep chickening out, pray for courage 
and speak up. Do it with God's help. He'll give you the courage that you need. You're not the old you anymore. The old you would have been scared. The new you has the Holy Spirit to empower you. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. So now start operating and being his voice, being his face, <laughs> his face to the people. And that's how the kingdom is built. Amen? Go and tell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for your truth, for your word. It's powerful. And Lord, we need your power to help us to share it. And that's just the truth of it. We, we need your Holy Spirit to move in us. Number one, to give us a concern for the lost. Number two, to then walk in power to share the truth with the lost. And number three, to pray for that seed that gets sown. And then, of course, number four, to continue to be there as a good example for these people after we've shown and told and pray for more opportunities to share and tell. Well, Lord, help us to be like your dear son and to walk like he did. And we'll be right in the center of your will always. In Jesus' name. Stand and sing together.